Welcome to the Witty and Gritty Podcast, where we believe that lifelong learning and relentless determination are essential to developing your passions and reaching your goals. Here to help you along the way are the hosts of the show. Take it away, ladies. Hey, y'all. I'm Brooke. And I'm Farron. As educators and high achievers, we're passionate about providing our listeners with effective strategies to help navigate life's obstacles and reach your goals sooner. Join us as we break down credible research that gives you a fresh perspective and challenges your limiting beliefs. Laugh and grow as we share personal anecdotes and interviews from people that have demonstrated what it takes to be successful. By implementing these practices, you will develop your unique skill set and learn how to better serve your community. Get your mind right. And enjoy this time designed just for you. Is it recording? Yeah, it is. Episode 50. We're in Everything is Figureoutable Marie Forleo. I'm so glad you say your last name. It's a toughie. Folio. Like four and then Leo, like Leo DiCaprio. Portfolio. Marie Portfolio. (laughs) It's the book series. Yes. So we're in our interviews portions. We've got Josh Burns here with us. Hello, Josh. Hello. (laughs) Great. Okay. (laughs) Bye. See you later. (laughs) So, Josh, you are a stage manager, production manager. Tell us a little bit about what exactly is it that you do and how do you help others? Uh, The simple version is I'm air traffic control for the tour. So, I kind of hover around everyone and make sure that they have what they need and that we are operating uh, efficiently and on time so that we can get in and out of the city that we're in like we should. (laughs) That way people aren't standing outside for hours waiting for us to be ready. All right. So I got to experience one of these concerts where I got to see you in action and it was the coolest. I fangirled a little too hard. I was like, oh my gosh, it's Josh. Instead of like, oh my gosh, it's Toby Mac. <laughs> so sorry, Toby. You're like you're the only one in the room that was excited about that. Did you make a sign for him and not Toby? <laughs> so I should have made a sign and I'm full of regrets. So next well, time, it'll be a big no. grumpy bear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No one would have known who the heck Josh was, but if you just said scrumps, everyone would have known. Nobody. Hey, speaking yeah. of your Instagram, I thought, didn't you hold a sign up for somebody? And you're saying, Most yeah, hold a sign up for Toby. What was that story? Yeah. That was um, there's an inside joke for our front of house engineer, the guy who mixes the show. His name's Pat. He's uh, he's probably my best buddy. He's an amazing mix engineer as well. But um, two years ago. Uh, during a, a big song till, till the day I die Toby uh, walks all the way down to the end of the stage which is called the thrust and the whole way out there we, we were having feedback and Toby does not like feedback um, nobody does really but Pat just couldn't catch it. it it almost never happens and so by the time Toby got out there he wasn't even singing anymore he was just staring at Pat and then Right before he started the chorus, he said, come on, Pat, in the mic, through the PA, during the show. So the next year, we were cutting through the same venue again. Um, I'd forgotten, but Pat reminded me when we were heading in to load in for the day. He goes, you know what happened here? I was like, nah, dude, <laughs> every day is the same day to me. Everything looks the same. And he goes, this is where come on, Pat happened. I was like, oh, because <laughs> I, I, I loved it. It's like one of my favorite things that's ever happened on the road and so during the same song at the same point 
I lifted up a sign and that's what it said. It said, come on, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> did, he, so, did he fix it this time though? The second time did he? Oh yeah, it, yeah. Never, it never happened again. Of course. Um, Cause he figured yeah, it yeah. out. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, amazing, but yeah, it's just, it was just one of those quirky things that, you know, sometimes happens and you got to figure it out. Or Toby's going to embarrass you in front of 16,000 people. No big deal. I can see why you forgot and he didn't. Oh, yeah. It wasn't me that got, you know, blown up. Yeah. So what, who are some of the people you've done the stage manager production stuff for? Um, Well, I've only been doing the stage manager production manager part for probably the last three or four years. And that has been mostly with Toby. Um, But my journey started almost a decade ago and that was back when I was still playing bass and I didn't play, I didn't really play for anybody, anybody would know. It was really when I started doing the, the crew side, the production side is when I started working for larger artists and I actually started in bluegrass of all, of all things. Uh, I just had a buddy who managed an act that needed a guy who could do a bunch of stuff and I said I could even though I really couldn't. um, I knew for the most part what he was needing but uh, I literally was YouTubing some of it to uh, to figure it out on the fly because we were out there you know on tour and it needed to get done and then that's kind of where it all kicked off and essentially I've done the same thing for every road gig I've had they're like this is what the gig is can you do it I'm like yes yeah in fact I've done it you betcha I got it my yeah, friend exactly. YouTube has the answers. And when they leave the room, I'm frantically pulling out my phone or calling a friend and like, what the H does that mean? Yeah. It's so worth what, that, man. What is some of the, what is one of the craziest things where they're like, okay, Josh, we need, can you do this, this, this? And you're like, uh-huh. What was the one or a couple of things where you're just like, mm, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Oh man. I mean, I literally, uh, when I got the Matt Moore gig, sorry, I didn't tell you anybody who I worked for. Maybe so I started, let's start just do a at the beginning. Line. So, cause you said something about playing the bass. So like in high school, let's go to like high school. Were you interested in music in high school? I mean, uh, yeah, I was in a, I was in the band. I did that whole thing, but. Um, what did you want to do in high school? Like you're in high school, everyone's asking you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your original plan? I mean, back then I yeah. thought I would, to be a teacher oh, or really? like band director. Yeah. Yeah. Cause music was really the only thing that I truly enjoyed and was like good at. Um, so I thought that, but looking back, I had no clue. I had no clue at all. Um, it's just what I kind of felt like I should do. Cause that's what I knew. Cause my dad was, you know, a principal for like 30 years. So oh. I was just comfortable. My good friend from Texas, Adam Kirby, um, volunteered me to play bass at church a week after I bought the bass. I hadn't <laughs> taken take it out of the box yet. And I walk in and he's telling our youth pastor, like, oh yeah, Josh can play the bass. I'm like, what? No, I can't. I just, I just bought it. I figured it out. Uh, they gave me a month to learn it. And that was that. And off after that, like that changed probably the whole course, like trajectory of, of my uh my life because if I hadn't bought that bass and if my buddy Adam hadn't volunteered me to play 
I probably would have stayed in Texas and been a teacher and had a wonderful life and never known any of this. Yeah. But uh, but I did. And and then two years after going to state school or to be, to become a teacher, I decided to move to Nashville. And that's when I finished college and then was on the road playing for probably five or six years. And then I just got burnt because it it's fun, but it is brutal. It is a brutal, brutal way to live when you're trying to you know cut your teeth. And uh, can you, just you talk have to be, about that a little bit? Like, what's that schedule sure. of life like? Oh, I mean, you're working a full time job, and then as soon as you can get out, you're going downtown to play a bar gig till midnight or one, you know, starting at like seven or eight. So you're playing for four or five hours, and then you go home, go back to your day job. And then, if you're lucky enough, I got to tour a little bit, but you're doing that on top of that. So we would leave sometimes straight from work. Like we, I'd go straight home and pick up all, all the, the gear and then we'd drive, you know, to Memphis or something. And then we'd play for two or three days and then drive back, you know, at three or four in the morning. And I'd essentially go straight into work <laughs> and try to be a normal human being. <laughs> and after like, you know, four or five years of that, you just like, I think I want to do something else. This this hurts a lot. I'm getting older. So how did you know what was your next step to take? You So you've played the bass, doing the whole nine to five plus bass playing on top of that, and you get burnt out. So now do you, what were the thoughts in your head? Like, how did you know you needed that shift? And what did you do to kind of change the path? And a little background, uh, our audience might be people that they're stuck in a job and they don't uh-huh. know it they're stuck in a job and they don't know if like work's just supposed to be terrible. And so they're just supposed to suck it up it's, and keep going. It's not, it's not. And I learned a lot in those four or five years where I was like, well, I don't necessarily know what I want to do, but I definitely know what I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And that is it. And um, so since then I haven't done that, but I wouldn't say I knew uh, what I was going to do. I just knew that I didn't want to do that anymore. So I was, I mean, there was a, a fire lit, that's for sure, to figure it out. And so I just took a leap of faith. It just shook out when I needed it. it it's always done that. I don't know why. I put you. I put in the work, but there's always a little bit of a luck or good timing with, with how things have happened for me. And, um, yeah, it was just like I left my job and I worked at a, a gap job for like, three or four months and then my buddy called again and said the, the bluegrass guy and said hey i need a guy who can do a bunch of stuff can you do it i'm like yeah let's go and then that was it i've been on the road since and that was yeah it was almost 10 years ago so i uh i essentially started out with those bluegrass guys just being a gopher i mean anything that someone didn't want to do i did it and uh yeah, the grunt work. We talk a lot about having to, like, you need to get your hands dirty and there's going to be times where you're going to have to, yep, suck it up and do it. Like if that's Marie Forleo in her book talked about how she had to clean toilets to pay the bills and she was thankful for the work. Yeah, yeah, I was thankful to do it. I mean, because I just done, um, if you're wondering what the job was, it was customer service. I worked in a call center. Uh, probably for me, one of the worst jobs that I can I can do. So with the bluegrass guys, uh, I did a bunch of stuff, but I learned again what I didn't want to do because they asked me to do everything under the sun. 
makes monitors. Uh, and what that means is the front of house engineer mixes what the audience hears. The monitor engineer mixes what the artist hears on stage. And that's what I had to do. And that's actually one of the hardest things in the world. If you are an aspiring road guy and you want to work forever and you don't want to ever have to really worry about not having work, work on the monitor engineer. There's not enough good ones, but it is a stressful job, stressful job. And uh, so I learned I didn't want to do that. Fast forward, my buddy called who played with Matt Marr at the time and said they needed a backline tech. And that's the guy who just works on all the instruments. So you make sure all the instruments and everything is set on the stage and works. And I did that for almost two years. And then I started to learn more and more just by watching about the stage manager stuff, which I'd never really seen or been around. And that's when I learned, oh, that's what I want to do. So I started bothering all these old dogs, you know, asking questions, essentially shadowing them, even though they didn't want to be shadowed. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be your shadow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, didn't, they didn't want it, but they got it. And uh, I was hard to shake. And so eventually I picked up enough things um, and bothered enough people that I got some sub work because, you know, stuff happens. Guys, you know, got to go home having babies or whatever and they just can't do it so you get sub work and so I filled in with some acts like Chris Tomlin and Casting Crowns uh, Switchfoot stuff like that and uh, that's kind of where it all started to take off and then I got a call out of the blue I'm still not sure who gave Toby Mac or the Toby Mac's camp my name but I got a call out of the blue one day and said you know do you want to come tour with us and I said yeah <laughs> so what I'm hearing is so you knew what you didn't want to do for trial and error so then mm-hmm. you would move on does this work do I like it yes okay or no let me veer and then you got into a point where you knew what you wanted to do and then you made them your mentor so you refused to be refused like nope I need to learn this and then you soaked in all this knowledge and then you were ready so there are a lot of times where people ready well, you're as ready as you're as ready as you're gonna be. Yeah, I said it's like, it's like having a baby now that I've had one. It's like you can prepare all you want, but man, uh, you don't know anything. Yes, no. for our listeners, so Josh has a baby. His name is Hank, and how old is Hank? Uh, he just hit five months. All right, five months, and emily your lovely wife is putting him to bed or has just put him to bed from our understanding yeah yeah his big head should be asleep (laughs) it better be for all of our six so you were able to attain those mentors and i like how you were just soaking in the skill sets that way you're you were prepared enough to where your name obviously got into someone's ear and Mm -hmm. you knew enough or can figure it out enough like you had this reputation of if I don't know, I'm going to figure it out. And with mm-hmm. that, they were able to call you and knew that you would rise to the occasion, even if you didn't know exactly what it was. Yep. And uh, that's what served me well the most, man. I, I, you have to be malleable out there because, I mean, you're in a different city most every day with different people in a different building. And you got to do the same thing that you did yesterday and that you're going to have to do the next day. And it has to feel the same and look the same to a whole bunch of strangers who paid money to see the show. 
And so um, that's one of the reasons I enjoyed the job. You're asked to do the same task, but you can never achieve it the same way each day. So you got to just freaking grip it and rip it, man. Yeah. Do you have any anecdotes for us where you've been in the moment? So like the, so you told us the story about Pat, the come on Pat. What about, <laughs> has there been any other anecdotes where you have been in the moment and something is happening on the stage and you're like, whoa, we gotta, we gotta fix it right now. That you can um, say. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's, there was this one venue that um, had hid the fact that they had a telephone like tower very near the venue. And when that happens, because we use a lot of the wireless technology for the mics and the ear packs and everything. So essentially everything that the show runs on <clears throat> was getting interference from this freaking cell tower. And if you've ever had your cell phone near a speaker or uh, like an amp, you know, that little like robotic sound that makes, have you ever heard that? Mm-hmm. It was doing that constantly through our PA. We couldn't get it to stop. We couldn't cut it out. We couldn't mute it. It was just on the whole time. But because they hit it, we thought <clears throat> that we had bad power in the building. So we rented a generator and got it there like 20 or 30 minutes before the show was supposed to start. And we had to undo everything in those 20 or 30 minutes and get it reconnected into time for the show to start. I mean, I've never seen that done nor do i want to do it again yeah. <laughs> but but again going going back to that we 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 did it and we're like yeah that was awesome and then we turned everything back on and that freaking sound was still there no this is my the, nightmare yeah so you're just like ah i don't know dude i guess we just gotta freaking go for it and i mean we had to but how'd you fix it we didn't. Well, we, we did some weird tricks, like we covered stuff in tinfoil. It probably looked... <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, we covered a lot. We probably looked like conspiracy theorists, but um, and it actually does kind of work in the right setting. It, it kind of interferes with all that. So we wrapped whatever we could in tinfoil and just kept it moving. When did you find out about the phone tower? Later. After, Because after we swapped the generator, we knew it wasn't bad power. So we knew we had something stepping on us, interfering. And so finally, the the uh, venue kind of came clean about it. And, oh, I wasn't in that meeting, but, but it got it got nasty. Because yeah. I mean that I mean that makes that makes our show look bad, and the fan experience, you know, can can be ruined. Because I mean, there's this weird like angry robots screaming in everyone's ears the whole show is this a new song or is this just how the how it goes the whole time sounds cool oh yeah that's what you get through living in cleveland (laughs) not to name any anybody but (laughs) for sure cleveland you guys get it together and stop lying about your towers Uh, yeah that venue especially well, I guess they probably have to. Otherwise, no one would want to book there. Because is there a solution? Like, if you had known no. about no, the no, no, exactly, we we, would, we wouldn't have booked the show. We would have went to another venue in town. That's mm-hmm. why they. That's why they uh, forget to tell you. Maybe they should wrap the venue in foil. <laughs> <laughs> Man, 
if if I thought it worked, I mean, I'd help them, but good wow. Lord. So the concert that I got to experience, there was snow coming out of the ceiling? Yeah, it's technically soap, and Toby loves it. We did this, uh, we started it, I think, two years ago, and we only had, I think, three or four machines. And it was fun. It did the, it did the thing he wanted to do, but this year he was like, I want more. <laughs> and we're oh, boy. But it but worked, though. Oh, it worked, and it, it looked really great, especially at the top of the show. But oh, fun yeah. fact, they were also Taylor Swift's snow machines. So. <laughs> Wait a minute. So you said, hey, T-Swift, we need to borrow your snow machines because we need snow. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it happens a lot. Like, if someone's not out on tour, you can borrow or rent their gear because they don't need it. What are they doing? Nothing. So she had these massive snow machines that are because she plays arenas we just play or she plays stadiums sorry we only play arenas and so these things are made to just blizzard a stadium and so when you turn them on it sounds like you're at an airfield because they're just huge massive fans just massive big angry machines that push a lot of snow who has to clean that up it's soap, so it's cleaning things for you, it's actually. The, it's supposed to dissipate, um, but we were cranking out so much that it just couldn't. So me, my shadow, my, my shadow now that I'm the, the, the big guy, I finally had a shadow. Her name's Megan, and I, I love her. Like She's so, she's so uh, like willing and like hungry, and she's just like a sponge. I love it. She did a great job um, this last tour. But her and I, if you watched... If you weren't watching Toby, you'd see us frantically scrubbing the stage with <laughs> soap up so they don't fall off the stage later in the show. Because that, that almost happened one time. The guitar player is like a baby giraffe when you put a guitar in his hand. Like he's, he's a pretty uh, <laughs> clumsy guy. And when you get him like four or five feet up in the air, it's not a good combo. So we had to really make sure that the stage was clean and clear because he would just run right off the stage. So was there a situation that you remember that you were given and you were like, I really don't even know where to start with this and that you um, were able to figure out, do you remember any recent big challenges? My first show with Matt Marr, I got flown in. They'd already been on tour um, for a while. So I was just jumping in kind of halfway through and we were at Red Rocks. Do you know, do you know that venue? Uh, it's a, it's a pretty cool one. It's in Colorado, right outside Denver. And it's essentially this venue that's just cut out of the side of the hill. It's really amazing to just be there. It's not very fun to work at, but it, to see a show at, it's really cool. And so that was my first show with Matt Moore and the other artist was third day. And like Matt Powell was like when I was younger, when I was learning to play bass, like one of my heroes. And uh, which is also wild. Like now, I'm not, now Mac and I are like buds. It's just, it's just weird, man. But literally the, the, my first day, I don't know the songs because I'm jumping in mid tour. I don't know any Matt Marr songs. I just know that I'm supposed to kind of tune the guitars and make sure he has the right one for the right songs. And so they give me the set list and the changes like right before we go on. 
just like, I don't know, just running back and forth. Uh, but before that, they asked me to, to set up all the guitars. So that means you straighten out the necks because they get warped or, or they bend depending on the weather and change up the strings and adjust the pickups and all this other stuff. I'd never done any of this. I don't know guitars. So that was one of the times where as, as soon as they were out of eyesight, I was on YouTube parading that there was a good instructor video on how to do that. And so, yeah, that was one time where I was like, I just got to figure it out because the the heat that day had really, and, and the flight over had made some guitars just like drop, just like they were trash. And so I had to get them up and running before the show started. And I had no clue. I, I had no clue. Like, just because you can play a bass does not mean that you can play guitar. And it definitely doesn't mean that you can set up a guitar because that is an art, an art that a lot of people get paid to do no, as, as one job. And that was one of many of mine. So did so, you execute it flawlessly or were they like, eh, next time, can you do? I think uh, one of the guys knew, uh, he could tell. But <laughs> yeah, great job. I was like, really, really. <laughs> that was close yeah. but like, uh, because their day was there just like with the stage managers I was all up in their back line text business like I was like so what about this what about this have you ever done this they're like god who is this guy <laughs> but uh, and they, they were really kind and they helped me out they, I think they realized that was a little uh, underwater I like so, that because they, some people want a mentor and they kind of sit there like, I don't have anybody, but just being proactive and again, in their face or maybe stalker status watching from <laughs> just that at blind sight. So. Yeah. Be bold, man. Be bold. That's the only way you're going to figure out if it's going to happen or not. So what advice would you give to people who are in, not necessarily I'm in your capacity, but in a similar situation of, I'm not sure what to do here. So what, what are some general broad statements that would help anyone kind of in this phase? I mean, do some prep work. I mean, I'm sure if you, if you're thinking about it that hard, you've already done that. So I just say, just take a step, man. Like when I took the stage manager job with Toby, I asked my my good buddy, the guy I was replacing too, I said, what am I going to do? Like, what is, I've never done this. Like, what is this, what is this about? And he just goes, just make a good decision. Oh, oh my gosh. Thank you. I problem need, solved. I need a little bit more. <laughs> Can you clarify and be more specific? That's all he said. He said, make a good decision. And then he bounced. He was like, see you, buddy. You'll do, you'll, do, you'll do fine. I was like, ah. <laughs> Did he get that out of a fortune cookie? I mean, yes, that's what it sounds like. Okay, hang on. He's a real awesome dude, man. He's real like chill and zen. And I think he knew like, I just need to take my lumps. There's no way to do that job without taking any lumps. Like you just, you got to be in the fire. You got to get your hands dirty and figure out what it is and what it isn't. And then see where you fit within that puzzle. And, uh, and it's an ongoing thing. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't want to cut no. you off, but I mean, it's I've done it for three years, and, and and I would say this last year was probably my most comfortable year. So the last two years, I've just been like, I'll come home and I'll look at Emily and I'm like, I don't want to do this. 
I'm so tired. I feel old. I feel stupid. Like, I just, what am I doing? And she's like, you're fine. You're fine. Well, sometimes you need that confidence coming. If you can't see it, I mean, clearly you've had successful tours back to back to back to back, obviously, because you're still employed. But to have that person just be like, you've got it. Now go, you've got it. Go. So that's, yeah. you've got your back there. Yeah. She was, um, she's really good at like supporting me and being that kind of nurturing thing. But every once in a while, she gives me that, that fire that, you know, well, I don't want to say it, but she, she motivates. She's yeah. that, she's redhead, man. She, she, she can, she can light it up if she needs to. And I need that sometimes. I'll just get kind of, uh, and she'll be like, she'll be like, suck it up, buttercup. Like, <laughs> okay. Because I'm an eight. I know y'all did an Enneagram thing. I'm yes. an eight. So. Yeah, exactly. The more direct you are with me, the better. Don't beat around the bush. I hate that. I hate it. So it's good that so. she knew your personality to be like, uh-uh, no. Mm-hmm. I like what you said earlier about taking your lumps because sometimes people have this fear of failure. And so would you say that, you know, you continue to still have failures along the way to some degree? Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, the Hits Deep Tour I've done now five years. Uh, and three of those years, I was stage manager. And every year I learned something new. And every year I do multiple things wrong. And I'm like, okay, I can fix it now. Or sometimes it's just... We're, we're in a, like a rhythm and it's too big to like change. It'd be like trying to turn the Titanic around. So it's like, well, next year I'm not doing that. And so there's been a couple of those things every year where I'm like, okay, that's good to know. And I store it away and then I apply it to the next tour. Cause uh, it's usually, sometimes it's not a bad thing. It's just something that's better. And a lot of times it's to get my guys that bring my attention, like bring, like they bring it up. I try to surround my guys or myself with guys that are really good at their jobs because I'm not supposed to be a specialist, at least for how I view the job. I'm supposed to be air traffic control. I'm supposed to be a jack of all trades. These guys are supposed to be assassins in what they do. And that's what they're being paid to do. And so that's what we do. So the more they know, the more I know. That's really good. Um, We talk about like getting criticism and feedback (laughs) So when you surround yourself with the right crowd, how do you ever have to decipher like whose criticism and feedback to like accept or how do you handle when you get, you know, that constructive feedback? Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's been, I mean, just with anything, like when you're trying to figure out your friend circle or even within your family, like who like sees me who understands what I am and who I am and is, can communicate to me. And, um, so there's some guys that are like Pat and my, uh, and Toby's, uh, tour manager, Justin, and some of the older guys that have been with Toby for like 10, 15 years. Those are my kind of inner circle guys where if they come to me and they're like, dude, this is wrong. Or, Hey, have you thought about this or dude, you came down on that dude pretty hard. You might want to go smooth it out. Like, oh, okay. Not bad. Um, and that's probably actually what I struggled with the most. It wasn't necessarily, um, accepting when guys had different ideas. It was sometimes learning to, um, as an eight, not 
just hammer everyone. Um, <laughs> Wait, that's not time. normal? Hold on. Yeah, not yours is not steamroll. You steamroll. Yeah, exactly. You got to learn how to, you know, kind of finesse things and, re- and encourage more. Uh, and so that's usually where I'd get kind of brought to the carpet was like, dude, you lit that kid up. You can't do that. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Sorry, I was a jerk. My bad. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still I'm still learning on that because uh, Emily's a seven, so she's fun. <laughs> uh, she doesn't like confrontation, and and I love that. But sometimes I forget, and then I have to apologize. <laughs> So how has your, this, your job, your occupation, how has that prepared you with the whole figure it out mindset in other parts of life? You talked about Hank for a little bit. Uh, you can elaborate on that if you want to, or talk about different pockets of life besides career. I don't know. It's made me, I guess, more self-aware because I've had to really hone in on what, it, what I am good at or where I struggle. I guess it's just really been more relational for me because it's helped me kind of figure out as a man, as a husband, as a father, um, who I am now and who I want to be moving forward. You mentioned earlier, like you can prepare all you want, but until you have that kid in your hands, (laughs) (laughs) I do. And then once you think you have it figured out, then they hit a growth spurt. Yeah. Or, or sleep regression. That's where we are right now. (laughs) <laughs> not the sleep regression it's the worst it's the worst you're like yo dude we we do this every day why don't you want to sleep am i ever I gonna sleep again yeah yeah i i'm up with you this sucks let's go back to that sleeping thing we were doing yeah back when so, you were a newborn and you slept all day that was good oh, man he really is great but this sleep regression is the pits I like how you also talked about you and Emily and not just, I mean, I love that you dove into the Enneagram because we're kind of nervous about it. Oh, we love. I like how y'all use it to, you use your powers for good and not evil. Like she knows you need a kick in the butt right now. So I'm going to gently give you one. Well, it's because, you know, eights are the challengers, but an unhealthy eight can be essentially a bully. And I hate bullies. I hate it. And so I, when I'm becoming an unhealthy eight, she reminds me, or one of my guys does, and that's when I have to kind of circle back and get right. I don't like steamrolling. I, you you got to be, yeah, you got to use your powers for good. Eights don't do feelings very well. Do you think there's a time and place, though, that, like, that's necessary, like, in an urgent moment or to take the lead if no one else is, if everyone's staring at each other? Do you think there's the benefits of that in what you do? Oh yeah. 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 And, and that's where that's, I mean, that's what I'm paid to do when, when it breaks down or guys are looking for someone to take control of guidance. That's when I step in, but otherwise I try to let them do their jobs and just facilitate them so they can thrive. And that what, that's what really keeps the machine moving. Um, the, my first two years I tried to step in or, or, uh, steer or kind of steamroll way too much. And, it was stressful and guys would get burnt out and the days would be long and you just feel it. There was a different vibe, different energy in the air. And so the, the less I tried to control or the less that I 
you know, micromanaged, the better it went. And the happier that my guys were and the more that they trusted me because they felt like I trusted them. Mm -hmm. So do step in now or when I do put my foot up someone's backside, it, it resonates a little bit more. Whereas earlier on, they'd be like, well, here comes scrumps again. Mm. Uh, <laughs> let's take a minute to talk about scrumpy bear. So okay. oh boy. <laughs> let's just dive in there. Let's get in the weird because some of our, <laughs> we mentioned the week of this recording that we're interviewing you and your interviews coming out in a couple of weeks. So to mentally prepared, <laughs> who is Scrumpy Bear? The essence of yeah. it. Who is he? It really just, well, how I get named Scrumpy Bear is a stupid story. <laughs> Good, let's hear it. We love stupid <laughs> stories. Okay. Well, we played, uh, I was with Matt Marr still, and we were playing a conference named MOPS. Well, it's an acronym, MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers. So the whole thing is all mothers that have young children and they are, for a weekend, are without their children. So it is... Okay. A, they're is ready a, to go. But they're still moms. So, like, I didn't pay for anything that, like, weekend because we would go down to the restaurant at the bar, hotel, and all the moms were like, oh, you're with the band, aren't you? Come sit with us. Oh, 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 oh. And they'd just be trying to feed us and all this stuff. But then it was funny because by like 9 or 10, they were all gassed because, you know, they're not used to staying up late. And they had like one glass of wine. So it just empties out. And then you're like, wow, now we get the place to ourselves with all this food just sitting around. So we were at that. And one of the times in between um, sessions, so you play multiple times a day. You're essentially the house band. And so in between sessions, you're just sitting around in the green room. And there's just usually a snack table. And there happened to be a small honey bear that somehow I got dared to try to drink all of it. <laughs> so, so, being who I am, I, I took that. I took that dare and I tried my darndest and it was bad. It was bad. It was messy. My beard was even longer than it is now. Like it was so long and so gross and the honey was everywhere. I was coughing it up and it was just everywhere. And then after it was done, one of my buddies goes, you look like a big old scrumptious bear. And so. And it's scrumpy. Yeah. And that also turned into a thing where we started making these stupid videos where I would try Great. to I eat. love the videos. Yeah, where I would try to eat. Oh, have you you've seen them, yeah. 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 I got to figure out who still has them. I haven't, I don't know. YouTube? Where are they? I, they're buried somewhere. No, I haven't posted them. <laughs> I just, I definitely remember your New Orleans one. Oh, the ben Yeah. That was a good one. The uh, the emergency one was probably the worst, though. Because <laughs> we, poured, we poured three bags of emergency into one, and I tried to down them all with no water. So when they hit my mouth with saliva, it's made to, like, fizz and foam. And that's what it did. So I'm just, like, gagging and, like, choking. Because <laughs> it's just, like, filling up my throat and my mouth. Because it's just three bags of this stuff. Ugh. But you had enough vitamin C to last a lifetime. 
I didn't get sick that year, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, everybody, you heard it first. Grumpy Bear recommends you chug yeah. emergency dry. We are not doctors. Yeah. Just a reminder. Yeah, please don't, please don't recommend it. It was an awful experience, but it was a funny 30 minutes. For everybody else. Yeah, for everybody else except for me. We mentioned it earlier. Uh-huh. Yes. So what would you say to people that think they have this dream, they're really passionate about it, and they see it as impossible? You had said earlier that, like, you've thought enough about it that you're probably prepared enough to take the jump. Mm -hmm. But is there anything else you would advise? Again, we talked about, like, you're going to fail. That's just part of it. That's not ever going to go away. Do you have other advice that we haven't given you the opportunity to say or in this discussion has come to mind um, for anyone that you know is in a place that they don't want to be but they're they just for fear or not feeling prepared knowing enough you talked about is there anything else you'd recommend or advice you'd give them to take that leap man i just say i mean what's the worst that could happen i mean just, just do it. Just trust in yourself. I mean, most of the time, your biggest obstacle is yourself. So if you're open and willing to just dive in and figure it out, most of the time, you will. Will you get to where you thought you were? I don't know. I mean, not every story is supposed to be a textbook ending, but I, I freaking guarantee you're going to learn something about yourself, which may spark something else, a new dream. So that rather than just fixating on this one thing for the rest of your life, take the step, try it out, and you're either going to do it or you're not. And then you're going to be on to the next thing. Because the, the, a lot of the people that I, it, that I admire or that I strive to be like are people that just go after it. And most of the successful people that, uh, that I kind of admire were people who fail all the time, all the time. It's supposed to be hard. That's the fun part. You need to write a book and like the past two minutes of you talking yeah. was just solid gold. I got one. I got one. Yeah. What's the okay. request that you've had that you were like, awesome. not, not mm-hmm. like you couldn't figure it out, but you're like, why, why are you, what could that possibly be for? <laughs> well, I've done one. I put in a request for someone to go buy me a tarp, some eggnog and a Santa hat. <laughs> <laughs> what did they just say okay or were there questions either verbal nope. or non-verbal they, they 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 told the runner what i wanted and it showed up about two hours later no questions asked they just went and got it he bought it. the runner bought the biggest the biggest thing in eggnog you ever seen i was like i didn't need all that <laughs> He didn't well, know. He didn't give enough details. I don't know what it's for, so I'm going to buy the biggest one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Usually what happens, they usually panic, so you have to be really specific with the runners. Like, this is what I need. This is the size. I don't want anything other than this. Okay, follow-up question. Has a runner ever brought something back that, like, wasn't even... You're like, where, what did you... Where did you get this? This was not what I asked you to get. Um, every like, day. Every, every day. Luckily, I don't really deal with them, but I mean, you can send them pictures. You, there was one time we sent them with the item, and they still bought something that was not that. 
It's like Kroger click list. <laughs> this is a terrible substitute. I don't want it. Yeah. 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 It's like, Oh, this is, this rhymes. I'm like, huh. <laughs> Oh, eggnog, fire log. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, uh, cause a lot of times for the most part, all they're doing is buying bus stock. So they're just restocking all the food that people snack on or eat on, on the buses. Um, but you know, you've had some weird stuff show up. You're like, I don't want this. Nobody wants this. Take it back. (laughs) Love it. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for interviewing with us. Again, this concludes episode. Yeah. Yes, we appreciate having you and just being so open and honest about your experiences and being real. Oh, thank y'all. No, this was fun. Don't go away because we're going to still talk to you. Sorry, listeners. Okay. Not on this part. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening to the Witty and Gritty podcast. Join us at wittyandgritty.blog where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our blog, and listen to more episodes. We have a Facebook group out there just for you for discussion, support, and community. And don't forget to get your freebie that's designed just for this miniseries. If you have any questions, reach out. We'll be right there.